Chapter 16 of Fantomas by Marcella Lane and Pierre Suvestra. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winteroud. Fantomas by Marcella Lane and Pierre Suvestra, translated by Cranston Metcalf. Chapter 16 Among the Market Porters. Boulevard Rochechoir, said Berta, the young asylum nurse, to the conductor as she sprang into the tram just as it was starting. It was a September afternoon, one of the last fine days of the now fast-dying summer, and the girl had just got her fortnightly leave for forty-eight hours. She had gone off duty at noon, and now had until noon on the next day but one to resume her own personality and shake off the anxieties that beset all those who are charged with the constant care of the insane, the most distressing kind of patients that exist. As a general rule, Bertha spent her fortnightly holidays with her old grandparents in their cottage outside Paris. But on this occasion, she had elected to remain in the city, influenced thereto by the long conversation she had had with the patient confided to her particular care, number 25, Madame Rambert. Since that first talk with her, on the day of Professor Swelding's visit to the asylum, she had had others, and Bertha had now elaborated a plan to enable the supposed lunatic to escape, and had decided to spend her short holiday in bringing the plan to a point. At the boulevard Rochechoir, Bertha got out of the tram, looked around to get her bearings in the somewhat unfamiliar neighborhood, and then turned into the Rue Clignancourt, and stood on the left-hand side of the street, looking at the shops. The third one was a wine shop, only the first of many in the street. Bertha pushed the door of the establishment a little way open, and looked at the rather rowdy company gathered round the zinc counter, all with flushed faces, and all talking loudly. She did not venture inside, but in a clear voice asked, Is Monsieur Geoffrey here? No definite answer was forthcoming, but the men turned round, hearing her inquiry, and seeing her pretty figure began to nudge one another and jest and laugh coarsely. Come in, Missy, said one of them, but already Bertha had quickly closed the door and lightly gone on her way. A few yards further on there was another bar, and into this also Bertha peeped and once more asked, Is Monsieur Geoffrey here? Adding by way of further explanation, Hogshead Geoffrey, I mean. This time a roar of laughter followed, and the girl fled, flushed with indignation. Yet she did not desist from her strange search, and at last, at the sixth shop, her question was answered by a deep bass voice from the far end of a smoke-clouded den. Hogshead Geoffrey! Here! And heaving a sigh of relief, Bertha went inside the shop. When you want to see Monsieur Hogshead Geoffrey, your procedure is simplicity itself. As he has no known address, all you have to do is start at the bottom of the Rue Clignancourt on the left-hand side, look into every wine shop, and ask, in tones loud enough to be heard above the chatter of conversation, whether Hogshead Geoffrey is there, and it will be mighty bad luck if, at one or the other of the bars, you do not hear the answer, Hogshead Geoffrey, here, followed immediately by that gentleman's order to the patron, half a pint, please, the gentleman will pay. It is a safe order. The patron knows from past experience that she can serve the half pint without anxiety. Hogshead Geoffrey rapidly drains it, and then holds out a huge and hairy hand to the visitor, and inquires, well, what is it? If, as often happens, the hogshead finds himself confronted by a stranger, he feels no surprise. 
he knows his own popularity, and is a modest soul. So he calls his visitor by his Christian name at once, taps him amicably on the shoulder, and calls him old boy, and invites him to stand a drink. The Hogshead is an artist in this line. He hires himself out to public halls to announce in his powerful voice, reinforced by a trumpet, the various items on the program, or the results of performances achieved. He also harangues the crowd on behalf of showmen, or hurls threats at two excited demonstrators at public demonstrations. Between whiles, he rolls hogsheads down into cellars, or bottles wine, and even drinks it when he is among friends who have money to pay withal. At sight of Berta, Hogshead Geoffrey so far departed from custom as not to give an order to the patron at the bar. Instead, he rose and went towards the girl and unceremoniously embraced her. Ah, little sister, there you are. Why, I was just that moment thinking of you. He drew her to the back of the shop, towards a bunch of sturdy, square-shouldered fellows drinking there, to whom he introduced her. Now then, mates, try to behave yourselves. I'm bringing a charming little lady to see you, my sister Berta, little Bob, Bobinette, as we called her when we lived with the old folks. The girl blushed a little uneasy at finding herself in such a mixed company. But Hogshead Geoffrey put everyone at ease. He put his great hand under Berta's chin and tilted her head back. Don't you think she is pretty, this little sister of mine? She's the very spit of her brother. There was a general roar of laughter. The contrast between the two figures was so great that it seemed impossible there could be any relationship between them. The graceful, slender, tiny Parisienne, looking tinier still beside the huge colossus of a man, six feet high, with the chest of a bull and the shoulders of an athlete. We don't seem to be built on quite the same lines, Monsieur Geoffrey admitted, but all the same, there is a family likeness. The men made room for the girl and after she had yielded to the general insistence and accepted a glass of white wine, Geoffrey bent forward and spoke in a lower tone. Well, what do you want with me? I want to talk to you about something which will interest you, I'm sure, Bertha answered. Anything to be got out of it? was the giant's next inquiry. Bertha smiled. I expect so, or I wouldn't have troubled you. Whenever there's any money to be picked up, the hogshead's always on, he replied especially just now when things aren't any too bright, though I may tell you I think there's going to be an alteration in that respect. Have you got a situation? Berta asked in some surprise. Hogshead Geoffrey laid a finger on his lip. It's still a secret, he said, but there's no harm in talking it over, for everybody here knows all about it. And at interminable length, and with many a pause for libations, he explained that he was a candidate for an appointment as market porter. He had been cramming for a fortnight past in order to emerge triumphantly from the examination to which candidates were always subjected, and that very morning he had sat in the Hotel de Ville, wrestling with nothing less than a problem in arithmetic. In proof, he produced from his pocket a crumpled, greasy, and wine-stained sheet of paper scrawled all over with childish writing and figures, and showed it to his sister, immensely proud of the effect he was producing on her. A problem, he repeated. See here, two taps fill a tank at the rate of twenty liters a minute, and a third tap empties it at the rate of fifteen hundred liters an hour. How long will it take for the tank to get full? A friend of Geoffrey's broke in. It was Mealy Benoit, his most formidable competitor for the appointment. 
"'And how long will it take for you to get full?' he asked with a great laugh. Hogshead Geoffrey banged his fist on the table. "'This is a serious conversation,' he said, and turned again to his sister, who wanted to know if he had succeeded in finding the answer to the problem. "'Maybe,' he replied. "'I work by rule of thumb, for, as you know, arithmetic and all those devil's fundaments aren't in my line. To sit for an hour, writing at a table in the great hall of the Hotel de Villa, not much. It made me sweat more than carrying four hundred weight.' but the company was preparing to make a move. Time was getting on, and at six o'clock the second part of the examination, the physical test, was to be held in the fish market. Mealy Benoit had paid his score already, and Hogshead Geoffrey's deferent escort of friends was getting restless. Berta won fresh favor in her brother's eyes by paying for their refreshments with a ten-franc piece, and leaving the change to be placed to his credit, and then with him she left the wine shop. The annual competition for an appointment as market porter is held at the end of September. It is a great event. There are generally many candidates, but only two or three, and sometimes less, of the best are picked. The posts are few and good, for the number of porters is limited. The examination is in two parts. One purely intellectual, consisting of some simple problem and a little dictation. The other physical, in which the candidates have to carry a sack of meal weighing three hundred weight, a distance of two hundred yards in the shortest time. At six o'clock punctually, the market women were all in their places along the pavement by their respective stalls. The hall was decorated with flags. The salesmen and regular shopmen were provided with chairs, and their assistants were behind them, with the sweepers and criers. At the back stood three or four rows of the general public, all eager to witness the impressive display. The two hundred yard course was carefully cleared, every obstacle having been scrupulously swept off the asphalt, especially pieces of orange peel, lettuce leaves, and bits of rotten vegetable matter, which might have caused a competitor to slip when trying to break the record for carrying the sack. A high official of the Hotel de Villa and three of the senior market porters formed a jury, and there were also two officials of the cyclist union, expert in the use of stopwatches, armed with tested chronometers, and deputed to take the exact time of each performance. The crowd of onlookers was as odd and eclectic and keen as can possibly be imagined. Berta, who knew that false modesty is quite out of place in popular gatherings, mingled freely in the general conversation. Among other picturesque types, she had noticed one particularly extraordinary individual who, although he was in the last row of all, overtopped the rest by quite half of his body, being perched on the antiquated tricycle, which provoked the hilarity of the mob. "'What ho, Bazia!' somebody called out, for the man was a well-known and popular figure, and everybody knew his name. "'Is that Methuselah's tricycle that you have pinched?' And to some of the sallies, the fellow replied with a smile that was almost lost in his matted beard, and to others with a jest uttered in the purest dialect of Auvergne. Someone spoke softly in Berta's ear, and she turned and saw a sturdy fellow of about twenty-five, wearing a blue blouse, a red handkerchief round his neck, and a drover's cap. He was a well-built, powerful man, and in spite of his humble dress, had an intelligent face and an almost distinguished manner. Berta responded amiably, and a few commonplace remarks were exchanged between the two. "'In case you care to know, my name's Julio,' said the man." and Berta replied frankly, 
but without otherwise compromising herself. And I am Bob, or Bobinette, whichever you like. I am Hogshead Geoffrey's sister, she added, with a little touch of pride. A murmur ran round the crowd. Mealy Benoit was going through his trial. The great fellow came along with rapid rhythmical step, with supple limbs and chest hunched forward. Surely balanced on his broad shoulders and the nape of his neck was an enormous sack of meal, accurately weighed to scale three hundred weight. Without the least hesitation or slackening of pace, he covered the two hundred yards, reaching the goal perfectly fresh and fit. He stood for a moment or two in front of the judges, displaying the mighty muscles of his naked chest, over which the perspiration was running, and evincing genuine delight in not freeing himself from his heavy burden at the earliest possible moment. The applause was enthusiastic and immediate, but silence quickly fell again, and all eyes turned towards the starting post. It was Hogshead Jeffrey's turn. The giant was really a splendid sight. Instead of walking as his rival had done, he began to step like a gymnast, and the crowd yelled their delight. It seemed that he must beat his rival's time easily, but all at once the great sack on his shoulders was seen to shake, and Geoffrey almost stopped, uttering a heavy groan before he got going again. The crowd looked on in surprise. Where he had just set his feet, there was a wet mark upon the asphalt. Geoffrey had slipped on a piece of banana peel. But he managed to restore the equilibrium of his sack, and, taught caution by the risk he had just run, he finished the course with measured steps. Two hours later, the result of the competition was announced. Hogshead Geoffrey and Mealy Benoit were bracketed equal, having taken exactly the same time to cover the course. Upon the result of the written examination would depend the final issue, and the matter was all the more important because this year there was but one vacancy for a market porter. Berta, or Bobinette, was vehemently discussing with her neighbors the mishap that had befallen Geoffrey during his trial. A man dressed in a shabby black overcoat, buttoned up to the chin, and wearing a kind of jockey cap on his greasy hair, was watching her intently, seeming to agree with all she said, while really interested in something else. Berta, who was very intent upon the matter in hand, did not notice this individual's manner. It was Julio, her faithful squire for the last two hours, who got her away. "'Come,' he said, taking her by the sleeve. You know your brother is waiting for you. And as she yielded to his insistence, he whispered in her ear, That chap's a dirty-looking rascal. I don't think much of him. He certainly is uncommonly ugly, the girl admitted. And then, like the trained nurse that she was, she added, And did you notice his complexion? The man must be ill. He is absolutely green. End of chapter 16 Recording by Alan Winterout Boom Coach dot blogspot dot com